Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Today, we're going to talk about our families. Hopefully that's okay. I think that that's an important part of living healthy whole lives, right? Uh, whether or not you have kids or not, this affects you. Uh, so stay, stay engaged. Um, and I think for us to go through talking about like things that have been major stressors over the past couple of years and to not talk about raising our kids would be missing the boat pretty, pretty far because anybody who has kids knows that the past two years have been insane. We have had to homeschool, work from home, uh, deal with our kids being around us much more than they would ever have wanted to be around us. Uh, <laughs> not, we love being around them. It's only that direction, right guys? Uh, right, that's the only way that it flows. Uh, and, and it's like changed like six times over the past couple of years too. So it's not like it was consistent. It's just been jumbled and all over the place. Uh, life has been difficult uh, for our families. And so a question that we've gotten probably, I would say, more often over the past couple of years than we have, uh, in a while at least, is how do we encourage our kids to follow Jesus? How do we disciple them without them feeling forced or fake? Because we've been in each other's you know, presence a little bit more, and we're seeing the realities of what is coming out of, of our lives as we're living in these pressurized situations. Uh, and so we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about kids, but we're going to start off by talking about all of us because this is not only a parent conversation. Repeat that after me. This is not a conversation for parents. There you go. It's an entire church conversation. And that's really important because I think that discipleship is a whole church process and we need to engage with it as an entire church because we all have a role to play in this. Uh, so when we're talking about discipleship, sometimes that word seems a little like far out there. We're not sure what it actually means. Let's simplify it and say discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. We can all buy into that, right? We're becoming more like Jesus through the process of discipleship. And that happens in community, not by yourself. You become more like Jesus in community. Uh, that is necessary. You know, it happens through conversations where I talk to you and you tell me what Jesus is doing in your life. And I start to see, oh, he can move in that way. I didn't realize that. Or it starts to build up my faith for him to actually do something in my life. It happens when we have conversations and you like nudge me nicely in the gut and are like, hey, that's not okay. In ways that you feel like are really small, but for me are like life-changing because I start to realize things that I need to change, ways that I need to look more like Jesus. It happens when we spend time together intentionally and we point each other to Jesus. And our kids need to be discipled in community as well. I strongly believe that our kids need the church to be a safe place for them, a safe place for them to learn who Jesus is, to learn that he's better than all the alternatives, that he loves them, and to learn how much they need him in their lives. The church has to be that spot because there's nowhere else they're going to get that other than here and from you guys. My kids need it from you guys. Your kids need it from us. This is a joint thing that we're doing to point our kids to Jesus. If we want them growing up knowing Jesus, then we have to show them who Jesus is 
through our lives. Now, raise your hand if you've heard the numbers of kids who grow up in church and drop out of church after they hit uh, college. Many of us have heard those numbers. They're fairly depressing, so I'm not going to quote all of them right now because, honestly, we don't need to go down that uh, rabbit trail. Uh, they're not very good. Let's just say they're really high. The numbers of kids who decide to not continue following Jesus after they graduate from high school and make their own choice is fairly high. And even more depressing is the reasons why they do that. And I'm going to throw out a couple of these. They often say things like, the people are fake. They say one thing at church and then they live differently at home. Or there was no depth. It was just about feeling good. And I have lots of other places and people and things that can make me feel good. Or I never felt like I had somebody that I could talk to about the things that actually mattered. I felt like if I threw out, I would get kicked out. There wouldn't be space for me. I couldn't actually throw out the things that I needed to process through. And that's heartbreaking, but it is real. As somebody who grew up in the church, those feelings are very real, and I 100% know where they're coming from. Uh, unfortunately, those things have been the reality many, many times. But I think the reason that I didn't drop out of the church when I started making a choice was because I saw people who weren't fake. And I saw people who were intentional about spending time with me and helping me to grow closer to Jesus. So I want to tell you about a few of them. I'll tell you about four of them. A woman named Joey, a man named John, and a couple named Furman and Gretchen, which, yes, is a very Amish-sounding uh, name. We can, we can admit that. Uh, and I grew up in Ohio, so we come by it honestly out there. I'll say it that way. Um, <laughs> It was a real thing. So Joey was a youth pastor at my church when I was in middle school uh, for two or three years. I can't remember exactly how long. Uh, and this is what I remember about Joey as a youth pastor. She had a Nintendo 64 in her office and a couple of comfortable couches. And as a middle school guy, that mattered more than you would ever know because it made it this safe, comfortable place. She had an open door policy. I could go in play 007 or Mario Kart or whatever dated uh, Nintendo game that they no longer make uh, that I wanted to and go play it on the Nintendo 64 and hang out. And I didn't have to talk, which again, as a middle school guy is a really good thing because you don't always want to talk when you're 13 or 14. Uh, but I knew that I could talk. And I knew that, it, and Joey and I, we had a few conversations, not a ton, but a few conversations over those years that went really deep because I knew that I could go in there, I could play the Nintendo 64, hang out, and then open up about what it is that's going on. And she was a safe place for me to be able to open up and to chat about what was going on in life. I knew that I could trust her. John was a leader in our church. He wasn't the youth leader. He wasn't paid to hang out with me. Um, although... No, 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 my parents wouldn't have done that. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> John and I would hang out quite a bit uh, when I was in high school, getting closer to graduation, like sophomore, junior, senior year. Uh, and uh, John went to seminary for a couple of years. Uh, so I liked hanging out with him because I was thinking about being a pastor and he was a good person to talk to about that process uh, in his own life. He had young kids, which meant that he really had no time to actually hang out with me, uh, but he did hang out with me. And he was very intentional about it. He'd give me a call because we didn't text back then. And we would uh, go to Tim Hortons. 
the Canadian version of Dunkin' Donuts, if you don't know what that is. Um, and we would go there, grab a coffee, a donut, and have really deep conversations about calling and life and how to live as a, a person who is following Jesus uh, in the age-appropriate ways that I needed to learn. And he was always available. I could literally call him, and within two hours, we would be able to go and, and hang out. And I knew that I could throw anything at him without judgment, and especially with parents who were pastors, they weren't going to get repeated to my parents, which it's good to have safe people that you can talk to that aren't going to repeat everything you say to your parents. Now, I understand there's some things that need repeat, repeated to parents, and that's all good. But sometimes it's nice to not have everything repeated uh, to your parents. So Furman and Gretchen, they co-led a small group with me and my friend Ben when I was 18. They were twice our age. They had kids that were five to 10 years younger than us. Uh, and they treated us as equals in leading this small group. They respected us. They valued us. Uh, they allowed us to have kind of spiritual authority, so to speak, within this group as 18 and 19-year-olds. And they became friends, which especially after graduating high school and remaining in the church, that mattered a lot. There were healthy boundaries. Uh, we didn't go over to their house at midnight uh, when we were all hanging out. You know, there were good boundaries there. But we knew that we could go hang out with them whenever we wanted, that it was always an open door, and that they were going to treat us as equals who were following Jesus together on this path. The reason I kept following Jesus was because of people like these. The reason that those kids, that the kids that are in here, that the youth group, that uh, the people who are in our lives are going to remain following Jesus is going to be because of people like you. We all have a role to play in this. They need us to be those safe places. You know, and they weren't perfect. I saw their imperfections. Uh, Joey left the church after she went off staff. I was very aware of the imperfections of these people. But they still followed Jesus well. They loved me well. And they were intentional. And that mattered a ton. Who in this room is called to live that sort of of a thing out with people, with kids, teens that are in your life. I want us to turn to the screens to get some ideas from somebody else other than me about what this looks like. So watch uh, this video. Uh, she talks about her experience. like 8 a.m. at a coffee shop and it doesn't always have to look like this is our every single Monday we're going to meet at this Starbucks and we're going to hang out for this time and we're going to go through this thing. I have been amazed by the woman who's discipling me right now. It's so fun. She like texts me in the middle of the day and is like, hey, about to go pick up my kids from school. Like I want you to come with. Like let's go get groceries together. Let's go do laundry together. And she's just invited me into her life and there is like nothing richer than that. Like there is nothing greater no greater treasure than just just to be invited into someone's life and then I, I get to see the moment when her kids come home from school and they're frustrated and and I get to watch her parent in that moment and I get to watch the way she speaks to her husband and I get to watch the way that she is ministering to other girls around her and so man that's another encouragement as Sadie talks about mentorship like just invite young people into your lives they want a seat at the table and yeah we might be prideful and we might speak too soon like sometimes 
young people say like cannonball things and we just don't even think about it and we don't listen and we can dishonor authority in that but man pray for us pray that we would humble ourselves and and come alongside us and invite us into your homes invite us into your spaces allow us to see the really hard parts about marriage my parents always taught me like man it's not you don't you don't close the end of the book and they lived happily ever after my parents always taught us like hey they worked hard and they made their marriage great and so invite us into those hard conversations because we want to learn from y'all that's good well this morning i want to talk about discipleship and I want to get practical towards the end, so I'm going to invite a couple of friends up to uh, talk about how they have uh, been intentional about pointing their kids to Jesus. Uh, and if you don't have kids, again, you still have a role to play in this. And honestly, it could be even a bigger role than the parents as the kids look back uh, on their lives and see who influenced them. So stay engaged with this. But let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you want us to become more like you. Thank you that we're all in this process of being discipled, of being made more and more in your image. And I pray that this morning that we will uh, hear and uh, let it sink into our hearts what it looks like to be more like you and what it looks like to model the relationship we have with you with those who are around us. And Jesus, I just pray that you'll also, that you'll bring people to uh, our minds throughout uh, this morning that you're asking us to be intentional with. I pray for each one of us that we'll walk away from here very clearly hearing names and knowing like that's somebody that I need to invite in a little bit closer, that I need to show what it looks like to follow Jesus, that I want to be intentional with. Pray that you really speak to our hearts clearly uh, so that we can live this out. Uh, we can live out this process of becoming more like you in community as followers of Jesus. So we love you, Jesus. We invite you to come. Let your kingdom come and your will be done right here as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So three aspects of discipleship that I want to toss out. Everyone has a role. We need to go deeper with Jesus on our own so that we can share it on our foreheads. I didn't make up that last one on, our, on my own. It will make sense when we get there. Uh, but if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 25. I want to read this to get us started. It's where Paul talks about the body. Uh, there's Bibles in the back if you want to grab one. Here's what it says. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Very practical knowledge that Paul is dropping right here. Uh, but here's what one of the things that he's saying is that we don't get to choose what role we, get, we play in the body of Christ, Right? We have been formed, created with a purpose, with a plan. Jesus made you so that you can live something out that is specific to you. Don't try and avoid living out what Jesus has given to you. Live it out well. Be intentional about following him in the way that he has called you to follow him. Well, you know, so many organizations focus on making people uh, the same, 
If you look at businesses, you know, uh, Apple just wants a bunch of, of creative uh, tech nerds, right? Uh, you know, you, you think of like different organizations that just want a bunch of salespeople. Some, they just want teachers who are like cozy and warm and teach you your ABCs. The body of Christ wants everybody, and we want everybody to be who it is that we are individually, on our own, as God has created us. We need to live into our own calling. Uh, the end game is not for you to be more like me. It's for you to be the most whole and healthy version of you. If we were all ears, we wouldn't be able to smell very well, as Paul tells us, right? Let's keep going here. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Uh, skip down to, let's see, uh, verse 25. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. God made us. He placed us intentionally. We need to embrace the calling that we have each been given as people created by him. I need you to be you. You need me to be me. When we do that well, we actually function as a whole unit, as a whole complete healthy body. But... We're not called to just do this on our own. We're not called to just live into the purpose and the plan that we have by ourselves. Don't become the best you in a room closed off from everybody else. Become the best version of you in community. And that's a big difference from the church to our society, because our society just says, become the best version of you, right? The church says, yes, but you have to learn to do that in community. It's required. We can't be off by ourselves. We have to do this together. We don't become more like Jesus on our own. We become more like Jesus when we are all living this out together. Uh, you know, our culture is very individualized. I'm not telling you anything surprising. Uh, you could literally go days without seeing another human if you wanted to. Uh, you could order your groceries online, work from home, uh, do everything from a little square box inside your house and never engage with another person for literally days. That's not really God's best for us, though. That's not really what God actually wants us to do. But I don't want you to think that I'm one of those people who's saying that it was better back then because I've played Oregon Trail and I, I've died from dysentery more times than I would like to admit. Um, I understand and am very grateful for modern modes of transportation like cars and, and boats and planes because fording your oxen and wagon across the river usually ends up with me losing a child and most of my belongings. So, you know, I'm very grateful that we have other options today, right? Uh, but historically, families were much larger they all lived together, right? They stayed in the same community. They did life together. Uh, parents weren't just them and their kids. It was grandma and grandpa and aunt and uncle and older cousins and older siblings. And the neighbors were a part of it. And everybody was involved in this thing, raising their kids together. Families were just much bigger units back in the day. And I think that the church could learn from this example. I think that we should learn how to be a lot less individual and a lot more communal. And I think that there 
are ways that we're doing this really well. So I'm going to throw out a couple of people's names, and if you know, you can duck your head. I'm not going to make you throw your hands up. But there was just a couple of examples of this that, that I thought of this week, ways that people are living this out. You know, I think of uh, people who live together and are encouraging each other towards Jesus, like Nicole and Jean and Lori, const- you know, helping each other out, pointing each other to Jesus, living li- choosing to live life in community. I think of people like Pete and Cassie, who invite everybody over and want everybody to be a part because they want the, the community to be there. And like last summer, they let us bring the youth group up and destroy their house in New Hampshire for a couple of weekends just so they could love on some teenagers. Like, that's really good. I think of grandparents in our church who bring their grandkids to church, and that's awesome. I think of people in our church who have kind of an open-door policy for the single folks in our community that they know that if, you know, they're feeling it on a Tuesday night and they need somewhere to go for dinner, all they got to do is shoot a text and head on over and the door is going to be open. These are the practical, simple ways that we can live this out in community together. Because discipleship is often simply inviting people along with you and letting your life show Jesus. So we have a role to play and we need to go deeper on our own. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Love God with everything, all aspects of your life. If you want to become more like Jesus, you need to love Jesus with everything. You need to commit to loving Jesus in every area of your life. David Platt is a uh, pastor, and he said that making disciples of Jesus is the overflow of the delight found in being disciples of Jesus. So if you love Jesus, if you found joy in following Jesus, if you found strength in following Jesus, if, you've, if following Jesus has changed how you live your life because you've discovered that actually following Jesus is better than everything else, than all the other options then you will want to show other people what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's going to start to flow out. And we never mature past this most basic need. Following Jesus is our basis. And no one's asking you to be perfect, okay? You don't have to be perfect to do discipleship. Sometimes we try and make ourselves get to that point before we're like, ah, I can't lead this small group because I watched Netflix for three hours last night. You know, I just, I don't want people to see that example. You're never going to reach it. Perfection is not required. Perfection is not what it looks like. A mark of Jesus, of a disciple of Jesus is getting things wrong and then learning and changing. It's not getting it right at the beginning. It's learning as we go along this path. Some of the best lessons you can teach others is things that you've learned the hard way. Don't choose to live the hard way but allow those lessons to be learned. Deuteronomy 11. It's almost a word-to-word repeat of Deuteronomy 6, so I won't read the, the whole thing, but verse 18. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. We have to go deeper with Jesus on our own so that we can share it on our foreheads. 
We commit to following Jesus, to loving Jesus with every area of our life, and it starts showing in every area of our life. We wear it on our foreheads. We write it on our houses. uh, We we tie it to our wrists, whatever else that he says in this. Uh, We talk about Jesus at home, at school, uh, at work, wherever that we're at. We teach our kids about it. But these verses don't say that it's going to automatically happen for you. They say that you need to commit to living this out. Commit yourself. Choose to live your life this way. Choose to live a life of communal discipleship. Think of it this way. When people ask questions, think think of ways that you might give them an invitation or an answer just like Christ did. Come and see. Come and join me on this journey and see what it looks like to follow Jesus with your whole life. Invite those around you to come and see that the Lord is good. So everybody has a role. We need to go deeper with Jesus on our own so that we can share it on our foreheads. And all of this applies to discipling each other and to discipling our kids. So I want to get a little bit more practical uh, with the rest of our time here. And I want to invite Shelly Harding and Denoyd Tucker to come on up, grab a seat. Denoyd, if you can do your sound guy thing and get the mic working for Shelly, that would be great. Um, But as they're coming up, I just want to mention that, you know, they're are really practical ways to do this. Come on up, guys. That don't require a VeggieTales video or a theology degree, right? Uh, Have intentional conversations at dinner. Pray with your kids at bedtime and invite the Holy Spirit into the room. There's really simple ways that you can do this. Uh, Spend time with them intentionally talking about Jesus. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, all you got to do is like text or call and say, hey, uh, how can I be praying for you? Do you want to go to church with me? Just be intentional about inviting Jesus into your conversations. Uh, so Shelly, I'm going to start with you. Uh, your kids are in their late 20s, 30? Oldest is 31, youngest is 25. Nice. And then one in the middle. So you've, you've gone through the whole gamut of ages yep. as a parent. So uh, what did you do with your kids to really help them to know Jesus? Well, I didn't draw any lines between church and public life, school life, everything. What I did is just let them know that they are created by Jesus and that there's a purpose for the life. And so I let that interweave through their whole life. Um, We spent a lot of time at church, so regularly attending church was so important every Sunday, no matter what. Um, always a Bible-believing church, and we went to every event you could possibly have at church. Okay. Um, was so important, and mm-hmm. all of our we, so a lot of our friends um, were part of our small groups. So their friends and my friends were community, just like what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Is and, and there was no lines. Like what we were learning from the Lord in church and the Bible became a part of their school life, their public life, our home life. There was no lines drawn. That's community really good. was key. Yeah. That's good. Uh, thinking of your kids as teenagers, what you do with your girls to help disciple them when they reach that age, which is a little bit different in, in many ways. Right. So I basically let them go and mature at depending on their age level to make their own decisions. And I didn't, I wasn't, I tried not to be so strict. I wanted them to, to fail at home when they were with me and they could come to me for mm-hmm. advice. I also opened up our home completely to all their friends. And so 
everything we did, we pulled in everyone we loved into oh. it. So especially if they had some Christian friend, I mean, friends that didn't know about the Lord, and they were going through hard times, like we had, we were just a part of everyone's life. And so I could openly share. And one thing I, I guess I didn't say when you first asked, yeah. I wanted to say, is interwoven through the girls' lives was talking about the Lord. Like Deuteronomy mm -hmm. was my starting point. Mm -hmm. Is like when you when you're when you're walking along the road or you're eating dinner or you have friends in the car. It's like a big deal. Be the driver. Always be the driver. You learn a lot. Um, <laughs> is and and then from that, like prayer was interwoven through their lives. So they were just so used to conversations about the Lord in the car at home as they were going to bed. And then prayer was as natural as talking like we are now. So we might yeah. be talking about a problem, um, and then it just became a prayer out loud. So it was a, com a level of comfort mm. for them. to. It was just interwoven through their lives. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, Shelly did forward to me an essay that her daughter, Shauna, who's your oldest, correct? Yes. She's um, that she wrote, uh, and she gave me permission to share a part of it. And I think it just really highlights what it is that Shelly uh, is talking about. So I want to read this. Uh, it says, uh, Shauna said, a visual I have etched in my brain from growing up is standing next to my mom in church on Sundays, watching her sing and praise God over and over. Sunday after Sunday, hard week after hard week, she was always looking up. It didn't matter how many times this woman gets knocked down because she's always looking up. Naturally, as her daughter, I was always looking up to her I was always watching her. She's my biggest role model. And I would look up at her when I was small. And when her expression was focused on something above, I wanted to keep looking past her to see where she got this strength from. It wasn't until I was on my own and a storm hit and I was the only person on the ship that something inside of me took over and I turned my whole body towards Jesus. I planted myself there and looked up. I don't ever, I didn't ever remember setting that as a default position for windy weather, but it had been set long ago, it was instinct. It was far from watching, uh, it was far from watching my mother praise God. It was from watching my mother praise God through everything and watching God carry her in return. She had scooped up my sister and I and carried, and God carried all three of us. We still went through the trials, but we didn't have to walk on our own feet through them. He carried us and through the chaos, there was peace. And I found that same peace again simply by looking up at God and not at circumstances. And the visual of my mom literally lifting her head to look up set in me the same instinct. And now when I am feeling overwhelmed, I do whatever it takes to look up. Thanks for sharing that. It's powerful. It's really powerful. And well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's good, guys. That's, that's, that's good. So, Denoid, Sorry. You got, you got to go when everybody's crying. <laughs> That's good to follow. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you and Lynn have uh, teen, two teenagers still at home, one in college, uh, which is a, a little bit interesting stage. But you've been really intentional about, as your kids became teenagers, having conversations and, like, setting up uh, some good uh, things in that they look forward to. And one of the things that I love hearing about is your trips with your kids. Uh, so share about yeah, them. Sure, sure. So um, we originally have been in Massachusetts for 10 years. Before that, we were in California. And about uh, 20 years ago, um, we were at a church 
um, when the lead pastor started talking about this thing called uh, legacy trips. And it was really interesting. It turns out he, later on, him and his wife actually wrote a book about it. It's called Faith Legacy. And, and in the book, it's much more, you know, he's got it structured and it's, and it's great. But when, we were, when he was, you know, giving sermons on it, um, it sort of struck me as, wow, this is a really good tool. And what it is, is it's sort of a coming-of-age trip. And the idea is that you want to distract them. It doesn't really matter what the trip is. It's sort of tailored to the child or the person. And whatever it is, it's something engaging, something that they love to do. And the idea is to get them distracted, to get them distracted from, you know, their phones, right, whatever the television, whatever they're into, um, to kind of pull them out of that and have them sort of focused on the experience you're trying to give them. And really, it's sort of a, um, it's a decoy, right? <laughs> it really is. It's a decoy. You have a hidden agenda. And what some of the things I want to talk to them, and the idea is that you, you've got their full undivided attention. They're distracted from other things, but they can still listen to you. And I talk to them about things like, you know, you're created for a purpose, and you, you, know, you need to find that purpose. And um, we talk about purity, and we talk about, um, um, we, we talk about loving God and loving Christ and what it means to be an adult. So we sort of, it's sort of that time where you cross between child and adult, and you have mm -hmm. those conversations with them. And, um, and so, and, it, and it's different for every kid, and I've done uh, my oldest daughter, and then my oldest son, and then, unfortunately for COVID, I couldn't make any trips with my youngest son, but we plan on, um, we plan on uh, doing something this weekend. I just want to make sure I had my point. So, um, yes, and then living a life, you know, you know, living a life that's sort of set apart from the world. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So Nate's trip is next weekend? No, Nate's trip is this summer. I don't know. Oh, where, I, don't okay. know. I don't know where we haven't So we shouldn't yet. tell him what you just said? Oh, he knows it's coming. <laughs> he knows he's overdue. He's <laughs> right, like, right, right. yeah, he's 16. He's like, Dad, come he's on. like that. I'm 16. Come on. <laughs> you know, this should have happened a long time Which ago. This is great, right? <laughs> you know, third kid, he's excited about it. He, yeah. He's looking forward to, yeah. to what's coming, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing, guys. And uh, I didn't tell them to wear maroon. I don't know why this happened. <laughs> I did just, I was like, what? Yeah, yeah we look pretty <laughs> So good. you're welcome, you're right? Color coordinated, there we go. Uh, um, so Rebecca, you have four kids, ranging, ranging in ages of? Um, starting at 10, 8, 6, and 2. 10, 8, 6, and 2, there you go, guys. Uh, welcome to the, the Templeton's house, right? <laughs> and all the joy that goes with that. So how do you do conversations with your kids about following Jesus? Yeah, um, I think of this kind of in two different ways. Um, we definitely try to have some intentional time of talking with our kids. It's not necessarily like a scheduled thing, but um, just trying to make sure you know that we sit, sit down, have time to read the word together um, and talk. And, you know, sometimes that actually looks actually pretty chaotic in our house because, as you can imagine, the two-year-old might be, like, jumping on one of us or one of the kids just isn't feeling it for the day. So it's not like it's, like, always this beautiful, magical moment. Um, but I think we do just, you know, invite God to into that time. Um, and then the second way, I think, is there are spontaneous 
like times where one of them has a question, um, and it might be more like a one-on-one -on -one thing, um, but that just leads into really good conversation. And I think the thing that's in, like really important about that is that you're available. And I think um, I feel like God's been teaching me that too. It's just like be a good listener because sometimes your kids are really ready to talk to you about something or they need you. And if you're, you know, like for me as a mom, I'm like, oh, if I got to do this. It's time to do that. And if I miss it, I miss that special moment of connection. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of how the conversations happen. And I think also just on the spontaneous thing, um, if you have had some more of those intentional times and something comes up, um, that's a good time to kind of pull a theme of like, hey, remember when we talked about this and now your sibling's being mean to you? Well, now's the time like, you know, we, we can show forgiveness. Or like, mommy just lost her patience. Remember how we were just talking about patience? Now's the time that you can forgive mommy. Um, <laughs> and so I'm just kind of pulling off some of the things that you've, you've used in your intentional time. That's really good. Uh, so you have age differences. You have personality differences, I'm sure, with four kids. Uh, how do you kind of form some of this around your kids with different ages and personalities? Yeah. Yeah, we do have some very different kids, which makes for a lot of fun. Um, but I think it's like kind of hitting on it in a lot of different ways. Some of them I've noticed love music. They love singing to God and, and moving their bodies. And others are really like ready to engage in like deep conversation, reading about like um, other Christians that have lived their lives well. And, and I, I watched like one of my son process that and he just say like, wow, he lived his life so beautifully. It's coming from my eight-year-old. I'm like, whoa, this is touching his heart. Um, and others just are more logical. I really love reading the word out loud. Um, and so I think, yeah, lots of different ways. I think different ways at different ages. I think even just like trial and error, trying something yeah. out, realizing, oops, like that didn't work for us. Yeah. Let's try something different. Um, so, yeah. And I think um, I also feel like you touched on this, but, but with prayer, I feel um, asking the kids to pray. Uh, if when they pray, like you really get to hear their heart, mm -hmm. and sometimes you hear it for their sibling, and you're like, "Whoa!" You mm -hmm. you you know you you hear them asking God to help their sibling who's not feeling well or going through something hard at school. So I feel yeah. like prayer or asking if you can pray with them about something and just listening to them share that way, and then celebrating as God answers those things. That's really good. Do you have any? Uh stories. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one story really, this actually really touched my heart was um, trying to fold laundry. My two-year-old loves to just like take everything that I just folded and throw it off the couch. Aww. And so my oldest son just like stepped in and was like, hey, can I play with you? Let's build a fort. So he starts building this fort. She's supposed to crawl through the tunnels. And she's like, I'm scared. I'm scared. And he goes, why do you not ever have to be afraid? Who is always with you, Lydia? Well, Lydia answers, Esther. Because every night when Lydia is afraid to go to bed, afraid, Esther reminds her, I'm with you. And so the oldest says, no, no, no. Esther's not always It's Jesus, Lydia. Jesus is always with you. You don't have to be afraid. 
And at that point, I actually was struggling with something in life that was like making me feel afraid. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa, preach it, Joey. <laughs> that's what I needed to hear. Uh-huh. And I think to your point, Stephen, it's just like all the different ages is that we encourage each other and our kids encourage us. And like the different generations, we encourage each other. Um, and so that was one, one story that I thought of. And, um, I think another is just, um, yeah, like my two year old just worshiping. Like she loves even something simple like Jesus is the light of the world. And she will tell me that. Um, and she'll just, just repeat that because music has touched her heart. So yeah, that's, um, one other story I do have to share just about generosity um, and another way that I think some kids um, relate is like actual hands-on doing and that's just the serving and um, over Christmas we've, we've got some of these catalogs and you can you know you can buy chicks for a family and one of my kids just wanted was like how are we going to find a way to get this money it's $14 how are we going to find a way I'm like, well, I have a list of chores. Anybody who wants to do chores, you can you can earn some money. And he's really motivated just to to get checks for somebody else. And one of my daughters was um, just found a lot of joy, I think, in just serving and giving away food and and um, for Thanksgiving. And when we came home that day, she just said, "Mommy, that was the best day." I uh-huh. so like, I just I love that. That day was so fun. Uh-huh. And I was thinking in my mind, oh, she's not going to like that, you know, mm-hmm. just not prepared for, like, God touching her heart. So, yeah. That's, really awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, you know, I asked uh, Dave and Melissa Leppingwell, uh, who have adult kids and have been intentional, uh, just some, like, regular habits questions for them. Uh, and they said that they, uh, with prayer, that they prayed with and for their kids um, and that they would then, like, kind of keep a list together and acknowledge when different prayers were like answered. So their kids saw Jesus moving in their life. Uh, they would also share their needs and let their kids pray for them about the things that they needed. So it wasn't just let mom and dad pray for you about what it is that's going on in your life, but hey, you have something that's good for me. Come and pray for me too. Um, and they said that uh, spiritual discussions were just included at any time. Um, and they continue kind of in this same way. They, the way that they raise their kids is still the same way that they engage with their kids who now have kids, uh, which I think is really good when it comes to spiritual stuff, that they allow them to challenge and disciple them, you know, as their parents, as the grandparents today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said that discipling involves regular prayer, open discussion, and being Christian examples, living it out in front of them, both the highs and the lows, uh, a kind of day-to-day discipling. Uh, which I thought was really good. Bring it all together. You know, we're, we're a body. We each have a role to play. Uh, and I want to encourage us to commit to living life intentionally in community. Not doing it on our own, not s- doing it separately, but really together as a body. I want us to com- encourage us to commit to pointing our kids towards Jesus. And for us who are a part of this community to commit to pointing each other's kids towards Jesus and really raising kids together who know Jesus, who are following him. This is a whole community thing that we're called to, not just the parents. Uh, That's kind of what the Bible lays out there for us. And so I want to encourage us to live this out well. Uh, Let's 
love Jesus and let it pour out on everybody that we're around because we're inviting people in to see who Jesus is and how much he's done. Mm-hmm.